Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. This is episode number 390, Successful Remarriage Tips with therapist and author Terry Gaspard. Hello, everybody. This is Sandy Weiner. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late for love and that a woman of value naturally attracts the respect and rewards she deserves in life and love. A woman of value is somebody who knows her worth and she shows up, stands up, and speaks up to express who she is in all aspects of life. And every week, I bring you a tip on how to become that woman of value. I'm actually about to publish my woman of value book, and I'm getting ready to do that in the next couple of weeks. So look out for that. I'll let you know when that comes out. Um, But this week's tip is love yourself first. And we often put ourselves last on our to-do list. I know Oprah made that very popular a couple years ago. You know, we're the last on our to-do list, but it's really true. I mean, most of us grow up in homes where mothers didn't prioritize themselves necessarily. And so we learned that we have to make everybody else more important. And it is so important to take time for you and take time for self-care So my challenge to you this week is to find one thing every day that you've been neglecting about your own self-care and put it back into your life. And that could be anything from making sure you have your daily exercise to meditation, finding time, quiet, quiet time. I mean, most of us live in noisy worlds, putting your phone down and not being attached to a device and maybe an hour or two before bedtime, any of those things will help you to really keep that self-care ritual going so that you have enough energy left over to take care of others. And before I bring on my guest, I just wanted to let anybody who doesn't yet belong to my Facebook group know about it. It is called Your Last First Date, and we are a group for women over 40 who are either dating or in relationships and would like some positive support. We often don't have the right kind of support. We have friends and family who try to help us who don't really know what we need. And this is a group that has positive guidance. And so if you would like to be a member, just head on over to your last first date after you listen to this podcast. And it's on Facebook, and you'll answer the three questions that I have there to join. And we will have you as a member, and I'm excited to have you join us. All right, so um, my guest is a return guest. Her name is Terry Gaspard. She is a licensed therapist and an author and a contributor to many big publications, The Good Men Project, The Gottman Institute, Divorce Moms, Huffington Post, Patheos, dot com marriage dot com she writes a lot and this is actually her second book and it's called the remarriage manual how to make everything work better the second time around it was just published in february about a week ago and we're excited to have you back terry thank you sandy it's great to be here well thanks so um i love that you focus on remarriage and um you know, you, you're you in a second marriage, and so tell us what made you write this book. I'm happy to talk about it. I was raised in a divorced family, and I saw 
both of my parents remarry as I was growing up, and I saw one had a really happy, successful, long-term remarriage, my dad and my stepmom, and I saw my mother remarried, but it was very short, and it, it broke up after two years, and she ended up being single for the rest of her life, happy, happily single, I should say, but nonetheless, I was always curious about, you know, what makes for a successful remarriage, and then as things go, I followed in my parents' footsteps, and I got a divorce, and then after a few years, I did meet the love of my life, my husband, Craig, who literally swept me off my feet. I talk about that in the book. I wasn't really looking for a partner at that point. I was still healing, but he became a friend, and we used to go to a lot of dances together, and we have a lot of the same interests and friends. And over time, he, pre he pretty much wore me down, and we did get remarried. Um, but it didn't run on automatic. There were a lot of struggles early on. And I thought there was really something wrong with me. I still really thought that I knew a lot about remarriage, and I'm a therapist, so I'd counseled couples. I was literally blindsided by all of the challenges. So I started looking for books and websites and trying to, you know, get some information for Craig and I to deal with some of the challenges that I address in the book, Sandy. And the books out there were either highly religious and not from my same orientation, or they were super focused on the children and how to help kids cope with a blended family or step family. But I didn't find any that really focused on how the remarried couple could strengthen their bond. So I was talking about this to my agent, and she said, Terry, you've been bringing this topic up a lot. This was about four years ago you realize this is your second book, right? <laughs> I can't write about this. I'm going to be too vulnerable. I'll have to talk about all my own struggles. I've, I've done enough of that <laughs> with, my, uh, with my daughter's of divorce book. It just sent chills up my spine. And she goes, no, you can do it. So she literally, Sandy, she coached me through the proposal. And she said, I know, I know, you know, I don't like to read your book proposals, <laughs> but I'm going to read this with you. I'm going to go. And so anyway, over the course of a, literally a year, I started interviewing couples to figure out what the keys to success really were, because I was looking for the answers myself. Craig and I had had some really tough times, you know, through the years with the kids and finances and all the things I talk about in the book, a lot of baggage. And uh, then the book formed as I was interviewing 100 couples. I ended up with a, with a sample of 100 couples. And going through their surveys, I was able to come up with the 10 keys to success. Oh, cool. Well, you know, hey. the, the key to really getting to your audience is to be vulnerable. And I, I just interviewed Linda Carroll for my other podcast, and she just wrote her second book, and it's called Love Skills. And she is remarried uh, very successfully this time um, for about 35 years, I think. And she said when she started writing the book, she wrote about, you know, sort of fictional people or, or clients right. that she didn't want to include herself because it was too vulnerable. Uh -huh. And it's like it doesn't really touch the hearts of your reader unless you say, hey, I get this. I've been there too, Right. Oh, for sure. And I've, I've been through every single issue in all the pages of my book, I can honestly tell you. And I've really learned so much about vulnerability and how to repair from conflict. 
putting the relationship that you have with your partner first in the sense that you're not so hyper-focused on the kids that you forget about each other, which was one of the main problems we had. Um, you know, everything was for, for the three kids, and um, there wasn't much time left over for us, both being very busy people in addition to parents. So, you know, we, we, uh, we learned a lot as a couple, and we laugh now. Um, you know, he sits, he sits down with me now and tries to go along with some of the suggestions that I had in the book because if you follow some of the recommendations of John Gottman, Sue Johnson, all these wonderful writers that talk about how to have a more secure, emotionally con- connected relationship, they really work. Mm-hmm. But what I did in the book was made them more specific for remarried couples. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting you bring up the um, the kids. Uh, somebody just posted on my Facebook group that they're in a – they're about to get engaged, and they have. Um, she has a daughter who doesn't really accept the man who she's going to marry. Mm-hmm. She, not that she doesn't like him, but that she doesn't want him in her space. And I've heard my kids say the same thing. One of my kids said to me, "You know, it's okay for you to get remarried, but I really don't want you to live with somebody. So then I have to like get dressed when I'm around him and visiting and." You know, so it's it's hard to balance your needs with the needs of mm-hmm. your children. So what's one of yep. your recommendations for somebody struggling with that? Well, I definitely feel that you have to communicate as a couple and a family what your shared meaning is. Like what, what are some of the things that you value as a couple? Um, and like I, for an example, we both really enjoy outdoors and uh, things like going kayaking, you know, hiking. So some of those things we do together without the kids, and we always, you know, we started doing that over the years. There are other activities that we would do with the three kids or one or two of them, and I think it's just being being honest and being open and realizing you're not going to feel um, any less whole if you, you know, you manage your time in a better way and you don't operate around a feeling of guilt. I had some guilt. I've written about that in some of my articles about the divorce because, you know, it wasn't one of those marriages where people from the outside thought we were really that unhappy. There was a lot of, there were a lot of people that questioned why I got a divorce. So I think I was trying to make up for, you know, for some feelings of guilt by spending almost too much time with my kids, mm. even after I got married. So for for most people, I think it's a matter of having enough couples time, at least a few hours a week, and getting away every few months and not being too distracted by work and the kids, but also having time together as a more step family, blended family, whatever you're dealing with. But communicating to your children that your marriage is important is good and not um, expecting there to be instant love between uh-huh. your partner and the kids. I think I was unrealistic with that, Sandy. I think I thought that we would gel better than we did, and it takes yeah. a lot of time. So I do recommend you be patient, not give up easily, don't issue ultimatums, 
and start talking about divorce during those early years because once you start going down that road, it's really easy to, um, you know, start opening those doors. So just try to give it time, assuming there's no abuse or anything. Try to have family meetings at least once a week where you sit down over dinner or whatever and talk, talk through what some of the issues are. I have a lot of recommendations for that. But at least a couple of hours where you do a shared activity that you both enjoy, and for us it's getting outdoors. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I think this is very wise. I think that most people don't communicate at all, <laughs> that nothing, you know, until things get really bad and then it's a lot of just spewing and, and fighting and saying nasty things to each other. So learning those skills off the bat, I mean, any couple is going to benefit from learning how to fight right, how to how to set things up so we're not having arguments. You know, like you said, having those family meetings means everybody gets to have a voice. And yep. also, you know, I know like when I started even just dating after my divorce, I sat my kids down and explained mm-hmm. things to them. Like, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what it means yep. to you. Here's, you know, and what are your concerns, and let's talk about it. So, you know, I let them know I'm not going to introduce them to every guy I date, and they're not going to know about my dating life. And unless it gets serious, they don't meet anybody, and no one's going to replace their dad. And, you know, but it's it's right. fears that come up that we have to talk about. You have to get, You have to be willing to take a risk to get things out in the open, and, for instance, my husband, Craig, who's very vocal about all these issues, and he goes is planning on going around to book signings with me, felt like an outsider. But it took him a while to really admit that because I was so close to my two kids who were 9 and 11 when we got married. He didn't really, couldn't really see how he fit in. And um, even after we had our mutual child, the child between us, at times, you know, he just didn't feel like he was a part of the family unit. So we started doing some of the things that he enjoys. Um, for instance, he loves the state of Maine. He went to college there. His parents, you know, lived there for a long time. So we, you know, we started going up to Maine with him in the summer, you know, even though it was, wasn't always convenient for me because I tend to do a lot of teaching in the summer and, and consulting. And I'd tell the kids, you can invite your friends. You know, we'd pile in the station wagon, well, really a minivan at that point. And, uh, you know, we'll go up to Maine with, with Craig and, you know, to try to have some, some time on the lake. You know, that wasn't always what we wanted to do, but we'd try to, you know, help him feel that his values and his needs were also important. The real interesting thing that happened about five, six years ago with my son, Sean, who's now in his mid-30s, is he started contacting Craig on his own, sending him text messages, Sandy, and writing birthday notes and cards. And then Craig came home one day and said, Terry, I think I finally arrived. is not communicating uh, with me through you. <laughs> He's uh, actually initiating conversations. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, lovely. you know, he was 11 years old <laughs> when we got married. And here he is all these years later. So when I say it takes time, I'm not saying that they were enemies. <laughs> they, I, they had quite a bit in common. They both loved sports. But, you know, it's just the evolution of a step family and how long it can take. And, you know, it can be made more complicated by the fact that their dad lived nearby. Sometimes kids that are, you know, they're, they're as you well know, Sandy, they're, 
They're, you know, jumping from house to house. They're spending certain Mm -hmm. times with their dad, certain times with their mom. My kids have a stepmother. They have a stepfather. Um, Relationships can be very complicated. So in the book, one thing I say is try to put yourself in the mind of a stepchild. And I talk a lot about that in one of my sections in Chapter 9 because, you know, sometimes as a new step-parent, it's easy to think about what your needs are and how you want the house to be orderly, you want the chores to be done. That used to be a big source of conflict for us mm-hmm. because my husband's a lot tidier than I am. <laughs> and my kids were the tidiest when they were young. They've actually become very neat now. But, uh, you know, those weren't things that really were important in my mind for him to focus on when we were early on in our marriage. But, you know, try to think of it, what it's like for, as you said, your daughter, you know, was right out there with her needs. Here's this person coming into their life because their mom or dad wants a new partner. What are they getting out of it? You know? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, there's a lot of a lot of tips in, in that chapter to help people to realize that it's a slow process. It's not really usually instant love. And so try to have realistic expectations which that is something that runs throughout my book as a major theme, mm. having realistic yeah, so expectations. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true of every relationship. And we'll get into that in a second. I just wanted to um, reflect on what you just shared, which mm-hmm. um, I'm thinking about my ex-husband and his relationship, which he's been in now for probably nine, ten years. and. Uh, his girlfriend has a little girl who's now a 16 or 17 year old daughter, uh, but she was uh-huh. she was probably six when they started, and it was the the way that that relationship unfolded and how my ex tried to get the kids involved backfired like crazy, and it was mm-hmm. one of the reasons that they all came to live with me full time because even though we had shared custody, they didn't like what was uh-huh. happening at his house. And over the years, so 10 years, you know, you're talking about 20 years with your son, but with over 10 years, <laughs> they now have accepted this woman, they have accepted the child, they have a very seamless relationship, but it's taken a very long time and there was so much, so many tears and anger and my kids felt that their needs weren't met for a long time. And so I helped them through a lot of those challenges, but they're there now, and so I can totally relate to that. <laughs> yeah, I think you can relate to a lot of the stories. And what's good, what's good with the book is I share other people's stories, which are similar to yours and mine, and I could go on about the theme you just mentioned as well because my ex-husband got married to someone who had two teenagers. Um, it, the blending of two what I call distinct worlds, is really a lot trickier than people want to acknowledge. So talk about being vulnerable. You have to really be willing to put it out there and kind of get down to the nitty-gritty that there's, there are moments where it feels really hard. There's so many rough spots that if you make a commitment and you love this person that you're choosing to marry, and you have shared meaning and values, plus some chemistry. That always helps, but it's not the most important thing (laughs) because that can go out the window under a lot of stress. You have to be willing to wait and, as you said, communicate, 
not focus on the little nitty-gritty things, but look at the big picture. I talk a lot about, you know, all those filters that we have with communication and how they can get really negative. Uh And assume the best of your partner. You know, don't always look for the worst, but don't expect it to, to run smoothly. Yeah, I think people often also come into relationships the second time without having done any self-reflection the first time. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to say the reason my marriage broke up the first time was all because of the other person and not have anything to do with you. And I've seen people marry the same person over and over again. So, um, yeah, tell us about some of the other challenges. So you said we have to have realistic expectations about how difficult it is to, to blend families. We have, you know, we have to be patient. We have to prioritize and make sure that there are some good foundational elements like the shared meaning and values and the things that most people ignore because they value chemistry so much. So, um, and being willing to communicate. And to me, you know, those are all so essential to any relationship. But um, what else, what else um, have you found in your research? Well, there are two chapters that I wasn't really, well, one I thought I would write, it was hard, and the other I wasn't planning to write. And the one that I wrote that I was thinking of writing but I learned a lot from was how to ditch the baggage from your former marriage. Uh, that was a tough one for me because, as I said before, I'm a therapist and I think I know myself pretty well. I study all these great, you know, writers and, you know, people that know so much about bonding. And um, I realized I still had quite a bit of baggage. In my case, I have trust issues. And so being willing to admit to your partner, you know, it's really hard for me when you don't check in with me when you're running late or when we go out socially you're more outgoing than I am so it makes me uncomfortable if you spend a lot of time with other people and don't touch base with me those kinds of Mm -hmm. things came up a lot for Craig and I and that was baggage some of it came from my childhood but some of it definitely came from my first marriage you know and I'm not the most charismatic person you know I'm more comfortable in a small group or one-to-one so that was something my husband really had to, he's definitely the extrovert, and he really had to kind of hone things in a little bit. And that was baggage that I had, and then there was some financial stuff. You know, I'm not one that likes to be very forthcoming about finances, and he is. He wanted to blend our money, and I didn't. And so in blending our finances, as you well know, Sandy, you have to be transparent. And that that was a tricky one for me, and I was hiding things. I was keeping secrets, and that's baggage that I carried, and that led to Chapter 4, which has to do with don't keep secrets about money. That's a chapter of the the name of Chapter 4. I found that 41% of the couples that I interviewed had some form of financial infidelity. Can you believe that? Um, Wow. Hiding debt. Oh, hiding debt, you know, and um, secrets, you know, from the past, you know, and, you know, my case, I was, I was, my mom was giving and lending me money and I wasn't telling my husband about it because I was too insecure. That is not going to breed trust and intimacy. Mm. Any form of financial infidelity is 
definitely a breach of trust. Mm-hmm. And it was so really striking to me how many couples that I interviewed had issues with that. Yep, the big ones, money and sex, the things that people <laughs> struggle with a lot, <laughs> just <laughs> trust and being open and communicating. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy. Like, people don't talk about a lot of this stuff. I mean, I've been in relationships with men who've confessed being in debt, and mm-hmm. to me, it's I don't care if you're in debt. I, what I want to know is how are you getting out of it? Are, do you exactly. have a plan, and are you doing it? Because <laughs> right? I mean, there's lots of reasons why people have debt, or there are yeah. lots of reasons. I mean, the people have t- terrible shame over these things. And yeah. so, you know, I think being comfortable with your vulnerability here, and, you know, we didn't talk about sex yet, but I know you have a chapter on that too. Um, so, yeah, so finances, so you, you learn to be more open and transparent about that with your husband. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. I'm working on Uh, it, making some improvements and I've learned a lot of this through interviewing other people and realizing how important it is. So let me ask you this. You didn't want to blend your money. Um, did you end up doing that? Yes. You did? Well, we did it. From the beginning, it's just that I had my secret account that I didn't tell him about. We blended a lot of our finances. <laughs> this is all in the book. Except for that little account. <laughs> I had my little secrets. Um, and I thought that was okay because I was protecting him. I, I'm really good at rationalizing things, Sandy. So I thought, you know, I was protecting him from my baggage. He didn't need to. He didn't have any children. That was one issue. So I thought, well, I have these two kids. Of course I have more debt. I have two children, you know, and I was a single parent for a while. So we did blend. Um, we're now, I would say, happily blended in the sense that we're not happy with the fact that we, you know, have plenty of money. We'd like more, but we talk about it. We we actually have conversations, and I'm I'm really, really relieved to know that we can sit down over a cup of coffee on a Sunday morning or afternoon or whatever and actually discuss finances without a lot of conflict, stress, or feeling really tense and and you know uh, you know just uneasy. I used to feel really uncomfortable talking about money. It, it goes way back in my family and in my first marriage. My husband not so much so, but he did develop some mistrust of me after all those experiences that we uh, had. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who could blame him? You know. But what you said was so true. When you're so busy blaming the other person, that doesn't help either. So he had uh-huh. some habits. He also had to own up to. You know. I mean, let's face it, you know, everyone likes to go on the Internet and order things. That was one thing that he would do, you know, mm. a little too much. So we both, you know, we both now have gotten to the point in our marriage after 22 years where we can laugh, we can make fun of each other in a good mm. way, you know, and, and and really realize that we are a good match. We have a lot in common. We We want the same things out of life. You know, we we love a lot of the same people, and we love each other, but we're we're still going to occasionally have our ups and downs. They're just not as intense because we own them. And one thing I've learned is, if your emotions are really intense, they're they're probably somewhat based on your baggage. Oh yeah, yeah. It's amazing when you can really work on your own stuff, then you become so much more compassionate towards others. Yes. You know, it really starts within and getting. 
because things like money should not be an emotional topic. It's, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. so much of it has to do with how we're raised. And I remember in coaching school, we did this exercise where we had to, uh, we had drawn a wheel on the ground and divided it into like eight, like a pie um, with eight Mm -hmm. sections. And each one had a belief about money. So money grows on trees. Money doesn't grow on trees. Money is the source right. of all evil. Like, and we had to stand in our perspective, and then enter uh-huh. into a perspective that felt really uncomfortable, but something that maybe you wanted to work towards. And I think uh-huh. you know when you take the emotion out of money. I watched my mother in her second marriage have so many issues around. Um, assumptions around money, not having the Mm -hmm. conversations, but fears and then getting angry that somebody wants to take their money. You know, it's that kind of thing. And it's just so important to have to build that trust and have those conversations. Um, So let's let's get into the keys to success um, as we're nearing the end, because we've talked about the challenges. Let's talk about how, how, well, we also have talked about some solutions, but what what are the 10 keys that you have found for remarried couples? Well, they go along with the chapters. The first chapter is building a culture of appreciation, respect, and tolerance. And at the end of each chapter, I give four action points. So that really pretty much is a good place to start, you know. And there's things you can do to show appreciation because we all tend to focus on the negative and be more a little too critical, I think, at times. So showing appreciation. Then Chapter 2, making your remarriage a top priority, finding those moments where you do things together. And one thing we adopted from John Gottman is we give each other literally a six-second kiss every day. Before we leave the house, we reach over, we try to connect in a couple of different ways, you know, through the, putting our arms around each other, you know, he likes to stroke my hair. Give each other a kiss. Um, be more affectionate. And even if it's a small time um, that you have this ritual together, try to have rituals together every day where it's just the two of you. And then I have rituals throughout that chapter in different ways you can connect and strengthen your bond as a couple. And then ditching the baggage. You know, I have a lot of ideas in there about how to identify what your emotional triggers are and then what to do about it. So I can't put it into a quick formula. Some of this stuff is posted on the Internet because I've already been posting excerpts, but it's basically being more willing to own, as I said, your baggage and being able to identify it and then stop it dead in its tracks and don't let it rule you so that you're going through periods where you're ready to throw in the towel too quickly. And then don't keep secrets about money. You know, be be more vulnerable about that. Come up. There's some ideas about budgeting in that chapter too. You know, and how to how to manage. Um, you know, their finances, whether they're combined or not, because there's a lot of different ways to do it. Chapter five is really about trust. Um, as you know, I frequently do write about trust, probably because it's an issue that I've dealt with. But I do believe most divorced people have some issues around trust. So, you know, whether it's one person who's been divorced, because some of my couples, they were both divorced and others were just one, they're, they're going to be, you know, navigating the, the waters of trust. And then uh, with, yeah. with the sec- intimacy and sex, 
You know, really I recommend a lot of emotional connection, a lot of, you know, spending time getting off the phones and, the you know, the devices and really tuning into each other, using a lot of I messages as opposed to you do this or that. I would really like it, you know, if we could go on a little trip or if we could start walking 30 minutes a day together. You know, just trying to do things together and really get over the idea that you have to always feel totally passionate to have sex. I have some really good ideas in that chapter about how to keep your fires, you know, ignited between you um, by having regular sexual intimacy, even if one of you is not as interested. You know, so those are things you can read about in Chapter 6. Chapter 7 is, you know, dealing with the bigger things in communication rather than focusing on the trivial matters. Yeah. Managing the flames of conflict. Chapter 8 really tells us, and I learned this myself, you're not going to resolve every difference. Probably only 65 to 70% of, you know, about 65 or 70% of issues won't be totally resolved, but it's really more about acceptance and how to deal with those times when things do get heated up and you feel like you just can't take it anymore. So that has some good tips. The step-parenting theme is one of the main issues that breaks up step-families. So Chapter 9 is going to be popular with a lot of people because it really has to, you know, it has to do with how to embrace your role as a step-parent. And then as a biological parent, in my case, how to include your partner, how to help those relationships between your kids and your spouse, you know, thrive, um, and not doing so in a defensive way, but doing so in a loving way. Chapter 10 is probably my favorite chapter. And so what I'm going to end on in terms of tips is repairing your relationship after you've had conflicts or arguments is really highly important to the success of your remarriage. So it's called Say You're Sorry and Mean It. The whole topic of forgiveness and really not holding grudges or grievances so that you're walking around in a state of ongoing resentment. How to do that, how to give a good apology and how to accept one. I love it. I, it there's, these are such great tips. I think people should read this even if they're not remarrying, but if they're just entering a relationship for the first time because really all of the things you're sharing except for stepchildren – um, are really about we all deal with baggage. We all have it from wherever we are, and we all have issues around money and sex and all the other stuff you talk about. So this is just a wonderful book for people, who, whether they're remarrying or not. I think I think there's so much wisdom here. Thank you. Yeah. So finally, Terry, um, if you were to just have one last word of advice for people and something you want our listeners to take away for remarriage success, what would it be? Well, love may be sweeter the second or third time around, but when the bliss wears off and the reality sets in, I really recommend that you look inside of yourself because I believe that for love to be really wonderful, you have to love yourself. 
and you have to know yourself and you have to own your own issues. And then beyond that, give it time. Pick a partner that you have, you know, plenty of things in common with who's also willing to go the distance with you and don't give up too easily on love the second or third time around. Love it. Thank you so much, Terry. This has been a really informative, wonderful show with you. Um, let our listeners know how they can find you and find your book, books. Sure. Um, my website, which I've owned for oh, close to 10 years now, is movingpastdivorce.com. And if you go onto the homepage, you can click on to the cover of the book there. It's kind of a cool color of blue. And that will take you to my book landing page, which tells you more about the book. And you, ha- you can find a chap- chapter excerpt there. And you can actually order the book from many different booksellers right on that book landing page. Or if you love Amazon, which so many people do, you can go right to Amazon and type in the remarriage manual and it will come up. It's also on Kindle. Um, Sounds True is my wonderful publisher. I'm very thrilled with them. So if you want to buy the book directly from Sounds True, you can go onto their website and order my book from them. You can find me on Facebook and on Twitter at Moving Past Divorce. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Terry, for coming on the show again and for sharing your wisdom on remarriage. Uh, really, really valuable content here, and I hope you have tons of people going out to buy this book and read it and work on their relationships, first with themselves and then to really work on partnership because that's really what it's about. Thank you, Sandy. I'm very um, appreciative of you having me on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks, everybody, for listening today. And if you love our show, please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. iTunes is one of my favorites. Um, We really appreciate you sharing, listening, rating, and reviewing. And um, go to my website, lastfirstdate.com, to learn more about me. And uh, don't forget to join Your Last First Date because we hope you go on Your Last First Date very soon. Have a great day. (laughs) 